Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the immense blessing it is to have many books written about you uh, that are great edification to us. Lord, we cannot thank you enough for the book of books, your word. Lord, we thank you so much that you have written your word for us that when we read the pages of this book before us this morning, we hear the voice of the living God. Oh, Lord, all other books pale in comparison to this book. And so, Lord, we pray as we look at it this morning that we may be greatly edified as we seek to know you and your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we may be able to love him more as a result of looking at the pages of your word this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, who do you give large amounts of money to? Think about in your life, who do you give large amounts of money to? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's a particular charity that really has your affection. Maybe, and this was uh, one big one for me, maybe it's the bank. Maybe you give them large amounts of money. I tend to think that, yes, I give large amounts of the bank, large amounts of money to the bank, and that's terrible. But it's only because they gave me a large amount of money to begin with. Uh, when you get a larger loan from the bank, then you have to make large returns back to that bank as well. But basically we know that we give large amounts of money to those people who are great. We'll give money away to lots of different causes. But we give large amounts to those that we consider to be really great. And so in my life, I spend more money on my wife than anyone else. Uh, Why do I do that? Because I do think Jill is great. I mean, you think she's great as well, but you do not give her the kind of money that I give her. And... This morning we're going to look at someone in the Bible who was given a large amount of money and what that then tells us about that person. And that person is Melchizedek, this strange character that is only mentioned in a few times in the Bible, but he comes up in Hebrews chapter 7 after being mentioned thousands of years earlier in Genesis, which we looked at last week, we read that passage in Genesis, uh, but we, in Hebrews chapter 7, the author wants to study Melchizedek in greater detail because he points us to Jesus Christ and the priesthood of Jesus. Who is this Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek is said in the Old Testament to be a priest of God Most High. And so then Jesus is regularly said to be in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that he is in the order of Melchizedek as well. And so last week we started studying this and we looked at verses 1, 2 and 3 of Hebrews chapter 7, which if you've got a black church Bible is found on page 1187. I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you this morning as we study this man Melchizedek. Some people say that chapter 7 of Hebrews is one of the most difficult of the Bible. Uh, They also say that about Hebrews chapter 6. So um, you can take your pick as to which are the hardest uh, chapters of the Bible, but Hebrews chapter 7 is indeed difficult because of this man, Melchizedek, who we don't know much about, but seems to be very important here because Jesus is associated with him. Jesus is said to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so last week we started to study him and we looked at how Jesus is like this man, Melchizedek, in the Old Testament. And so I took you through verses 1, 2 and 3. And I pointed out at the end of last week's sermon that Melchizedek is important because Jesus is said to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek and therefore 
Jesus' offering for our sin of himself at the cross, his sacrifice, is a legitimate offering. If Jesus is not a priest, then he has no right to offer a sacrifice to God. Only priests have the right to offer sacrifices to God. If you offer a sacrifice and you're an illegitimate priest, your sacrifice is invalid. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to make very clear that Jesus is a valid priest because he's in the order of Melchizedek, which is very unusual because all priests, generally speaking, have been in the order of Levi. They've been descendants from Levi. But Jesus is not a descendant from Levi. He's a descendant from Judah, which means that you'd say, okay, well, Jesus is not a priest because he's not from Levi. But the author is wanting to point out to us that Jesus is a priest in a different order, the order of Melchizedek. Now, Jews who may have been reading this book, and Hebrews is written to Jews, that's why it's called Hebrews, written to the Hebrews, they may be saying, okay, well, you've established that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, but we really don't need another priesthood. It's okay, you can have your priest in the order of Melchizedek, but we've got Levi. We've got the Levites who are our priests. We don't need this Melchizedek priesthood with Jesus in it. But the author of Hebrews wants to point out that Jesus' priesthood is a far superior priesthood. Yes, the Levitical priesthood was indeed a legitimate priesthood and could offer sacrifices. God accepted those sacrifices. But there is a superior priesthood, and that is the priesthood of Melchizedek. And this morning we're going to look at verses 4, 5, and 6 of Hebrews chapter 7 and see how the priesthood of Melchizedek is actually superior to that of Levi. And in following weeks we'll look at even more verses that show us again and again that he is superior, that Melchizedek is superior to Levi and the priesthood of Levi. So how great is Melchizedek, how can we see that he is greater than Levi? And the first way that we can see that is uh, in verse 4, and that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. My first main point this morning is that Melchizedek is great because he received a tenth from Abraham. Melchizedek is great because he received a tenth from Abraham. And that is given to us in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 7. We read there, just think how great he, that's Melchizedek, was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, when we read that passage in Genesis last week, sorry if you weren't here, uh, we saw that Abraham went and defeated some kings who had attacked and taken off his uh, nephew Lot. So he went and defeated those kings and he took plunder from those kings. And then when he was coming back, this guy Melchizedek shows up and Abraham gives a tenth of the plunder. And that's what we read in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 7 as well. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, found on page 1187. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the king, so that's who those kings are, and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So how do we know Melchizedek is great? Because he received 10% of the plunder from Abraham. Now, 10% is a lot. When I was asking you before, who do you give a lot of money to? Is there anyone you give 10% of your income to? I mean, I like Jill, 
But on her birthday, I don't give her 10% of everything I made that year. I don't give her anything close to that. I've never given her a gift that big. Even her engagement ring, when you know I was uh, got engaged to her, and people are advising you, and they say, "Okay, it must be this many weeks' wages uh, that you're meant to spend on her engagement ring." Let me tell you that it wasn't a tenth of the year's wages that I spent on her engagement ring. Ten percent is a lot, and so the fact that Melchizedek received ten percent from anyone shows he is a great guy. He was at least esteemed by Abraham as an incredibly important person, the fact that he received that 10%. So firstly, we know Melchizedek is great because he received a tenth from Abraham. How else is Melchizedek great? Well, Melchizedek is great because he received a tenth from Abraham, the patriarch. Did you notice that in the text? That Abraham is called a patriarch, the, the patriarch with a definite article there. Verse 4, just think how great he, Melchizedek, was. Even the patriarch, Abraham, gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now what's that word patriarch mean? Well, patriarch is two Greek words put together, patros and archos, and basically mean, patros means father, and archos means beginning or ruler. But in this sense, I think it's beginning. He is the beginning. He's the father that starts it all off. He is the beginning father. And we see that Abraham is recorded in the pages of Scripture as being the beginning. He is the patriarch. He is the one who is the father of us all. He is the father of faith. We go back to Abraham and the covenants that were given to him by God, we share in because he is the father. So he is the great father for the Jews as a physical uh, ancestor, but also he is the father of all who believe in God. All those who trust in Jesus Christ trace their descent back to Abraham, the father. There's that uh, kid's song that you may have learnt in Sunday school growing up, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them. And then it turns into a version of the hokey pokey, you put your right arm in. After, yeah. But anyway, but the point is there, getting acrostic children, that Father Abraham is our father because he is the, the father of the faith. And the author knows, the author of Hebrews knows that the Jews know this, that Abraham is the great hero of the Old Testament. Really, you, there's no greater hero. Even David's descended from Abraham. Abraham's the big guy. And then, what does the big guy do? He gives a tenth to someone that he recognizes bigger than him. And who is that? Melchizedek. And that's what the text is saying. It says, just think how great Melchizedek was. Even, that word is there in the Greek, even the patriarch, the patriarch, not a patriarch, because Isaac and Jacob are called patriarchs as well, the patriarch gave him a tenth of the plunder. I mean, these guys are good guys, Melchizedek and Abraham. You think of them like superheroes in the Old Testament. But the superheroes even have... Hierarchy, often if you read comics, they have hierarchy. So there's like superheroes and then there's other superheroes who aren't that great, but they're sort of sidekicks often. And you've got basically two superheroes coming together in the Old Testament and one is going to submit to the other. And that will show you who is the greater guy. And we see Abraham, we see Melchizedek coming together. Who is the big guy of the Old Testament? The author of Hebrews says it's not Abraham, it's Melchizedek. 
because Abraham, the patriarch, gave him a tenth of the plunder. So who is great? Melchizedek is great because he receives 10% and he receives it from Abraham, the patriarch. Is there any other way that we see that Melchizedek is great? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Melchizedek is great because he received a tenth from the plunder. Melchizedek is great because he received a tenth from the plunder. And we read that in verse 4 as well. It says, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, we can give a tenth of a lot of things. In the New Testament, we learn that the Pharisees were very good at tithing. They even gave a tenth of their mint, dill and cumin, it says in Matthew 23. We know we can give a tenth of a lot of things. Imagine if I said, okay, Jill is great in my eyes and I give her a tenth of my vegetables every night. So she gives me 50 corns and pieces of corn. I will give her five pieces of corn off my plate and that's an illustration of how great I think she is. No, we can give a tenth of things that aren't very good and it doesn't really say much at all. Or we can give a tenth of things that are very valuable and it says wonderful things about how much we esteem that person. And that's what Abraham did. He gave a tenth of the plunder. Now, if you plunder someone, which you probably haven't, I hope not, but generally speaking, in, in those times, if you went and plundered, if you defeated an opposing force, an enemy, you didn't take the rubbish back with you. You took the good stuff. You took gold, silver, weapons, things that were really helpful for where you were going back to. You took good stuff. You didn't take the bad stuff. And then he came back, Abraham came back with all this plunder and he gave a tenth of that. He didn't say, I'll give you a tenth of what I've got back in my tent. I'll give you a tenth of what I've just taken, the best stuff of the land which I've taken from those opposing forces, the enemy. And I'll give you a tenth of that. And even it may be that he gave the best of that plunder to Melchizedek. That, that Greek word that is used, translated here as plunder, can also mean top of the heap or um, the, the best part of the spoils. It's used in that sense as well. And so it's, it's, he's given a tenth of the best. So let's say, um, this is just, um, I, I haven't got this from the text, but let's say he took some gold, some silver and some bronze from the opposing force. Well, when he comes back and he gives a tenth, he gives a tenth of the gold, let's say, as the most valuable part of the plunder. So how great is Melchizedek? He's very great. He's given a tenth, a tenth from the patriarch Abraham, and it's a tenth of plunder, not a tenth of some weeds around his tent. No, it's a tenth of the best that he has been able to get in defeat of the kings. Is there any other way we know that Melchizedek is great? Well, Melchizedek is also great because he did not need the law to collect a tenth. And that's my fourth main point this morning. Melchizedek is great because he did not need the law to collect a tenth. Jews might be saying, okay, big deal, Melchizedek received a tenth. But the Levites received a tenth as well. Melchizedek's not the first person in history, last person in history, I should say, to receive 10% of someone. The Levites, the Levitical priests, they received a tenth as well. But the author wants to make clear that Melchizedek is different from them because the Levites received a tenth because the law told them to pay that. 
In Numbers 18, that passage that we read this morning, we see there that there was a law given in Numbers 18 that the Levites must be paid a tenth by the rest of the people. And we've got to remember that it's nothing in the Levites themselves that then made people give them money. The people weren't saying, okay, I'm going to give 10% and I might give it to, oh, Levi's pretty good, the tribe of Levi, we'll give it to the Levites. No, God had said, you must give it to the Levites, and that's why they did so. Otherwise, it would seem like special treatment. And this is what the, the text is is getting at with verse 5. It says in verse 5, Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people that is their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. See that in verse 5. It says, Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. And then it clarifies, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Levi. You think they're, they're all brothers, but then God says, okay, this tribe's going to get 10% from everybody else. You'd be like, oh, that's, but we're all, we're all God's people. Why are they getting special treatment? Well, they're getting special treatment because God says so. The law is requiring you to give money to those Levites. Whereas when you compare Melchizedek and the tenth that he received to the Levites, you see a big difference. Is there a law saying, Abraham, you must give a tenth to Melchizedek? No. He, Abraham comes back from battle, sees Melchizedek, and spontaneously gives to Melchizedek, which shows that he is giving because he recognizes the greatness of Melchizedek for who he is. There's no law telling Abraham you must give to Melchizedek. Abraham just recognises how great he is and gives generously to him, which means that Abraham gives as a cheerful giver. He's not giving begrudgingly as we sometimes will do and as I'm sure many of the Israelites did with the Levites. We see in, in books like Malachi that people aren't paying their tithes. They're told to, but they're not. And so it's not a begrudging gift that Abraham is giving to Melchizedek like we do with our taxes. You know, we've got a law there that tells us you must pay tax. Wouldn't you love the government to say, okay, from now on there is no law about taxes. You just give what you feel we're worth. That is what is happening here. Abraham is giving what he feels Melchizedek is worth. And he feels that Melchizedek is worth 10% which is an incredible statement. He's giving generously because he sees the greatness of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is far greater than the Levites. No law was required for Melchizedek to receive a tenth, whereas the Levites, they needed a law, and even then people didn't give it. So it's a far superior priesthood that Melchizedek experiences. Is there any other way that we can see Melchizedek is great? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Melchizedek is great because he didn't need a genealogy to collect a tenth. Melchizedek is great because he didn't need a genealogy to collect a tenth. And we see that the Levites received a tenth because of their family connections to Levi. So the law said you must pay the Levites 10%. And so then it mattered, am I part of the tribe of Levi? Because if I'm part of the tribe of Levi, then I can get that 10% given to me that means that, you know, I don't have to, I, I can do the priestly duties, I do some work, but it sounds like a pretty cushy job that you can be there and you just get money given to you. 
And so you needed to make sure that you're part of the tribe of Levi if people would start giving you that money. Whereas Melchizedek doesn't need to be linked in with a particular family group in order to get a tithe, to get 10% given to him. And we see the author wants to draw this out for us. In verse 6 he says, This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. You can't trace Melchizedek back to Abraham or to Levi or to some other person because the author has pointed out for us that we don't know much about this guy Melchizedek at all. We don't know anything about his family. And then he says that for us in verse 3. He says, Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. We don't know anything about his father. We don't know anything about his mother. We don't know anything about his genealogy. And yet this guy gets 10%. Whereas the Levites relied upon their physical ancestry in order to get that 10%. It's not about connections for Melchizedek. Whereas so often that is. Why do I give so much to Jill? Well, I do love her, but she is connected to me as well. She's my spouse by law. And so it's right and good. If I started not providing for my wife, I'm sure many of you would confront me on it because I am obligated to do so there as well. She's family. She's connected to me. And if I, if I don't take care of my kids, they're my family. I'm meant to be taking care of them and being generous towards them. But Melchizedek has got no family connection to Abraham that we are aware of. And yet he receives 10%. So Melchizedek is indeed great. We've seen he's great because he receives 10% from someone, which is phenomenal. I don't think anyone has given me 10% in one go of their year's income. He's also given 10% by Abraham the patriarch. He's given a tenth of the plunder. And he's given a tenth without the obligation of law. And he's given a tenth without the connection of family. So how great is Melchizedek? He's very great. He's far greater than the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. His priesthood is far superior. And therefore, a priest in the priesthood of Melchizedek is able to offer a sacrifice that's going to be far better than the sacrifice offered by the Levites. And as we will see in many weeks to come, we'll start to get, look, uh, the author of Hebrews starts to look at that sacrifice that the priest Jesus, Melchizedek, offered, the, pre, uh, the priest Jesus in the order of Melchizedek offered, and how that sacrifice is far better than the sacrifices of blood of animals was offered in the past. And so what he's trying to say to these readers is don't cling to the priesthood of Levi Cling to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's a far greater priesthood. Because this is what the readers were thinking. is They were starting to get persecuted for being Christians and they are thinking, let's go back to being Jews. It's, it's better that way. The author is saying, if you go back to being Jews, then you miss out on that far superior priesthood with its far superior sacrifice. It is a far greater thing to be a Christian, to trust in Jesus Christ than to be a Jew and cling to an old decaying system. And so that then means if Melchizedek is great, then Jesus is really great if he is in that order of Melchizedek. And that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. Jesus is great because he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is great because he is, in the, he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. 
If Jesus is in that priesthood, he's in the greatest priesthood that you can be in. And Jesus has demonstrated his greatness like Melchizedek. Last week we looked at how Jesus is like Melchizedek in a number of ways. But we can see that Jesus is also great in a similar way that we can see that Melchizedek was great by the way that things were given to Melchizedek we see is great. And it's the same when we look at Jesus Christ. How people have treated Jesus Christ in history demonstrates his greatness, particularly the things that people have given to Jesus. Jesus is great because he has received great gifts. We looked at how 10% is a great gift, but people have given greatly to Jesus Christ. They've given their whole lives to him. They sacrificed their very lives. And there are people doing that around the world at this point in time as well. They are losing their lives for Christ. What does that say about Jesus? He is great. And Jesus has received great gifts from even the best of people. We saw that Melchizedek was great because Abraham, the patriarch, gave him a great gift. Well, kings have given to Jesus. Rulers, holy ones, rich people have given to Jesus. It's not as though minor people have given to Jesus and no one of any esteem is ever interested in Jesus. No, if you read church history, some really great people in history, people of great intellects, great minds, have given to Jesus Christ, demonstrating his greatness. And Jesus has received great gifts of the best that people can give. As I said, people give their lives, they give their possessions, they give their money to him, demonstrating his greatness. And Jesus has received gifts from people not because of the law. People have given generously to him because of who he is, just like Abraham gave generously to Melchizedek just because he knew how great Melchizedek was. There was no law beating Abraham over the head to get him to give to Melchizedek. And it's the same with us with Christ. People give because they recognize how wonderful he is. Not because there's a law, not because there's some sort of genealogy that they're connected to him and they think, oh yes, I I should give to him. No, because they love him dearly and they know he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and he is a great individual and worthy of a great gift. So Jesus is indeed a great high priest, the great high priest, far superior than any other priest. So then what should you do if Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek? Well, that brings me to my seventh and last main point this morning. Jesus is great, so give to him. Give Jesus your very best. He is amazingly great. And if you don't know enough about Jesus Christ to think that he is great, then come see me afterwards and I'll give you some books about Jesus that will help you understand. I'll point you to the book of books as well. If you read the Bible, you'll start to love Jesus as you understand more and more about him. And you'll start to see he is great. And, And then... Once you recognize his greatness, give him the greatest gift you can give. Give him yourself. Hand yourself over to him. No longer say, my will be done, but say, thy will be done. Humble yourself before him. Repent of your sins. Say, I am sorry for what I've done. You are a great ruler, a fearful ruler, because you're a God of justice. But I want to bend the knee before you. Admit your greatness, admit my sins, and trust that you died for me at the cross. That that sacrifice you offered as a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek is sufficient for me. That your life poured out for me 
is sufficient to pay for the sins that I've committed. Trust him for your salvation. Give yourself over to him. It is so hard to to repent of your sins, to humble yourself before anyone. It's hard repenting of your sins to your wife or to your children, to your mum or dad, to say, I'm sorry, yes, I did the wrong thing. Pride is there. It's harder to then repent to the Almighty God and to say sorry to him. We don't want to, but that's what you need to do. Why? Because he is great. And then what should you do? Hand yourself over to him, repent, trust in him, but then be generous with what God has given you. Generous with your time, generous with your possessions for Jesus. Give the best times of day to him. Remember how Abraham gave the best of the plunder to Melchizedek. Give the best of your days to Jesus. If Start the day with reading the Bible and prayer, if that's the best time for you, or end the night if you're a bit of a night owl. You might want to do that. Or give him morning and evening. Give him the best of your days. And through the week, give him the best of your days as well. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is begrudgingly given by many people to God if they give it at all. They think, oh, it's my second Saturday. I can't go to church on that day. It's family day. Give him those days. Spend time with him and with his people. And give of your possessions. Have people into your homes. Give financially to him. Not because there's a law telling you to, but because of who he is. Give generously. At a minimum, as I said last week, we we have no rule in the New Testament that says give 10% like the Israelites did with Numbers 18. We have no law like that. But if they gave 10%, to the Levitical priesthood, shouldn't we be giving even more than that to the priesthood of Melchizedek when he has given his life for us, when we recognise who he is? It's a good exercise to work out how much you're going to give each year. It's a a discipline that we should say, where we say, okay, I'm going to give this percentage and, uh, and then work out how much you make for the year and then give that to the Lord. Now, I don't mean you give it to the offertory here. I'm not necessarily saying that. But, yes, you, if you're a member of the church, you should be remembering that this is the Lord's work and this is one place that you can give it. But there's also other ways that you can give to the Lord's work, different missionary organisations. We have a number of different organisations that we support as a church, and one reason we do that is because we, as a church, want to give to those organisations like Barnabas Fund and Bible League and the missionary families that we support. But they're also there for you personally. We recommend, we're endorsing these guys that if you have some extra money, that these are good causes. If you don't know where to put your money, these are ones that you can give to, where your money will be used wisely for the Lord's work. Have you done that? Have you worked out how much you should be giving each year that works out to a percentage that you think is a a good and honourable gift to the Lord? I use Microsoft Excel. I'll give it a plug. I sit there and I work out. I put in all all the ways that I receive income and then I have a little uh, calculator that does 10% and then I work out, I have uh, little categories as to where I put all my money to, uh, the different places that I give to the Lord's work and then I match that up and it tells me how much I'm actually giving and whether how many percentage I'm below and how much extra money I should be giving each week. Um, and you may think that's very nerdy, but it's not that hard to work out. You can make it very simple. If you don't want to worry about giving to all different organisations, you sit down and you go, okay, this is how much I'm making, this is the percentage that I want to give, this is how much it should be total, then maybe you can write a cheque for the whole year 
and you can pop it in the plate here and we'll put it to good use. But um, I, I don't think uh, you may not think that's the, the best possible way, but if th that's a simple option. Or you can be more complicated like I am. But are you doing that at all? Are you thinking about what you're giving to Jesus and whether that shows how great he is? If someone was to examine your life and be able to see all the time that you spend and how it's allotted and see how all your possessions and all your money and how that's allotted, where it is spent, would they be able to see that Jesus Christ is great in your eyes? Would they say, oh, it's clear by the money and the time? and Yeah, this guy Jesus, he must be phenomenal. Just like when we look at Abraham and we look at Melchizedek and we say, Abraham, look at what he did to this guy. He, Melchizedek is phenomenal. He's far better than Levi, which then means if Jesus is in that order, he's far better as well. But what about from your life? Would somebody be able to see that Jesus is great in your eyes by the way that you use your time and by the way that you use the possessions and the things that he has given you. Is he great in your eyes? Because he certainly is great. The question is, do you acknowledge that greatness and submit your life to him completely and utterly and esteem him as he should be? Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this part of your word that shows how great Melchizedek was. He was so great that even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Without a law or a genealogy to put pressure on Abraham, he spontaneously gave cheerfully to this man because of his greatness. Lord, we thank you that Melchizedek points us to the greatness of Jesus Christ as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Lord, we pray that we may recognize Jesus' greatness, that he is far better than Melchizedek. He is the Son of God, and he is indeed worthy of great gifts. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room has handed themselves over to him, has bowed the knee before him in repentance and trusted in him. And if anyone has not, Lord, we pray that you may exalt Jesus Christ in their eyes so they cannot but help submit to him. Lord, we pray that those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ may regularly assess ourselves and see whether the way that we are treating Jesus Christ with our time and our possessions, is indeed indicative that he is great in our eyes. And if it is not, O oh God, we pray that we may start to live lives that do demonstrate his greatness to those who may be watching, and at least to you who sees all things. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.